Thank you guys. We up there? Uh, David asked me to share about daily gospel renewal. And part of that is rejoicing in what Christ has done for us. But that doesn't take away from anything that John shared last night. Thank you for sharing. Ministry, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, it's sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And that's kind of a snapshot of pastoral ministry. There's times when you're in deep sorrow and yet you're rejoicing at what God is doing in your life and what he has done for you uh, already in Christ. Let's pray. Father, what amazing, wonderful love that we could be called your children. People like us can be called your children. So we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and rub the gospel deep into our pores and let it fill every nook and cranny of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. What would you do if Jesus came to church one day and said, hey, don't be sad. Wipe those tears away. Go buy a gallon of sweet tea or your own beverage of choice. I'm from Oklahoma and Texas, so it's sweet tea for me. But what if Jesus came to church one day and said, hey, don't be sad. Wipe those tears away. Go buy a gallon of sweet tea and grill some steaks because you are forgiven. I've got some good news. I can't remember your sins. Would you like that? That's what our churches should be like every week. Our churches should be gentle environments of grace where tired, weak sinners find refuge. Where bruised reeds and flickering wicks find hope and peace. How does that sound for church? What kind of church has a benediction where the pastor says, may you leave here today happy and full of joy. Don't be sad. Wipe those tears away. Go buy some drinks and grill some steaks because you are forgiven. Let's party because Jesus can't remember our sins. I want to help us create churches like that. But to do that, we have to believe the gospel. I mean, really, really believe the good news. And we need joy. We need daily gospel renewal. But to do that, we need to understand that the God that we serve is full of joy. So turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. As you turn there, let me set the context. The nation of Israel has been in exile, living as slaves in Babylon for 70 years because they turned away from the Lord. They have finally come home and rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the city walls and they gathered to hear the law of God read. And they sat and listened to the book of Deuteronomy from breakfast until lunchtime. Imagine that. (laughs) So we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 8. Look at verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And so as the law of God was read, the people became overwhelmed with sorrow and they wept because of their sin. They heard the law and they wept. But then Ezra comes along and he says, hey, this day is holy. This day is set apart. Don't weep. It's not appropriate. Instead, go and celebrate. Eat good food. Drink good wine. Send food and drink to the poor around you. It's time to celebrate. It's time to party. P-A-R-T-Y. Because God can't remember our sins. So let me say something here. Ezra is not condoning getting drunk when he suggests that they drink wine. Not at all. Obviously, we know drunkenness is wrong. Right? What Ezra is saying is that they should celebrate God's grace. And they should celebrate it by going out to eat a good meal at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Now why would Ezra say this? Why are they to celebrate on this day in this way? Ezra gives the reason why they should all run down to Party City, buy some balloons, buy some kazoos and party hats. He tells them in verse 10, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The reason why Israel should be throwing a party is because the joy of the Lord, the joy of Yahweh, that's his Hebrew name, the joy of Yahweh is their strength. Now, I want to explain the meaning of this verse to you today so that you leave here and you go home and you buy some steaks and you go throw a party at your church. How's that for a final message? Take home application at a pastor's conference. Go home and throw a party at your church. What does the phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength, mean? The Hebrew here could be translated as a subjective genitive. Now, I know what you're thinking. Really? Last session at a pastor's conference and you're going to drop some Hebrew grammar on us? Yeah, I'm that guy. (laughs) Old Testament major in seminary. It's a subjective genitive. It could be translated. And there are some translations that capture this. What that means is that it's the Lord's joy, not our joy. It is the Lord who is full of joy. It is the Lord who is overflowing with joy. So the joy that's being described here is the joy that Jesus has over his people. It's God's joy that's stressed, not ours, which is how we typically take it. It's subjective, not objective. The joy of Yahweh over his people. Of course, we need to have our joy in God. And that gives us strength. I'm not denying that. But I think that flows out of this. In fact, the word strength here in Hebrew means stronghold or fortress or refuge or protection. It's used this way all over the Bible. Like Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So I believe that Ezra is saying, don't grieve people. Be joyful. 
Put those Kleenex boxes away. Don't weep. Don't make that ugly cry face. Don't let your mascara run down your cheeks. Why? Because the Lord's joy is your stronghold, your protection, your fortress, your refuge. It is Yahweh's joy over us, His people, that protects us from His wrath. We should not be grieving because God's not mad at us. He actually rejoices over us. So in spite of our sin, Jesus rejoices over us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we want to take to our city. God's not mad at you. If you are God's child and you've been adopted into his family by faith in Christ, then he's not mad at you anymore. He's not disgusted with you. The sins that you can't seem to forget, Jesus can't remember. Amen. What did the prophet Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 31.4 For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That means Jesus can't remember your sins. The sins you can't seem to forget, you can't seem to shake, that come up right in the middle as you're just singing and worshiping the Lord and the devil's like, what about that? You did that. That sin that you can't forget, Jesus can't remember. You know what Charles Spurgeon said about this verse in Jeremiah? He said, print Every word of that in diamonds. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Print every word of that in diamonds. That's the gospel that we need to rehearse daily. And that's what Ezra and company are getting at here. But what were the people struggling with and why were they grieving? They're grieving because they heard the righteous requirements of God in his law. And they knew their history of rebellion as a nation. So they started to grieve. Their sins were exposed. Their their hearts were laid bare. And so Ezra comes along and gives them the gospel. And he says, stop grieving. Put your Kleenex away. Have joy. Be overwhelmed with God's grace. Why? Because the Lord has joy over you, his people. And his joy over you as his covenant people is exactly what is keeping him from destroying you and pouring his anger out on you. His joy over you is your protection, your fortress, your stronghold. So fire up the grill and put some steaks on because we're going to celebrate this is the gospel. Because of our Redeemer, because of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, God does not see us as filthy and dirty. He's not disgusted with us. We don't nauseate Him. Like, you know, the the, uh, nauseated face emoji, you know, the green one that's like... (laughs) God, when He looks at us, does not feel that way. He actually... Rejoices over you. When God looks at you, He sees His Son Jesus. When God looks at you, He sees His Son Jesus. And when God sees His Son Jesus, what happens? His face lights up. Can you believe that? Wow. You should be shocked because Jesus knows what you did last week. Jesus knows how you and your spouse had that nasty argument in the car on the way down here or in the hotel room. He knows that, and he rejoices over both of you right now. As the prophet Zephaniah said, The Lord your God is in your midst, 
a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It is precisely because Jesus has joy over us that we can have joy over Jesus in all that he has done for us. This is the basis for daily gospel renewal. It's the good news that we must rehearse every day. We must print every word of this in diamonds. And it'd make a great tattoo as well if you're looking for one. So in verse 12, we read that the people understood the gospel. They went away to make great rejoicing. They listened to Ezra. They went to Costco. They bought a bunch of steaks. And they had a party. And people think serving Jesus is boring. People think Jesus is a cosmic killjoy. Hogwash. Serving Jesus is the best thing in the world. Why? Because Jesus throws the best parties. Because Jesus forgives sinners like us and then has joy over us. And so the next time someone asks you, why do you follow Jesus? Tell them, because Jesus throws the best parties. That'll start a conversation. You want to know how to reach your neighborhood? Go up to someone at Costco or Walmart and say, hey, did you know Jesus throws the best parties? Gospel opportunity right there. Now, two questions. Does this mean that we can just go out and sin? No, of course not. So when I say let's party, I don't mean let's make light of sin. I'm not saying we're free to sin. We're not. We should hate sin. Are we to stay in sin, abound, or stay there so that grace may abound? Romans 6.1, no. If you think that, you don't understand grace. But the natural response to the gospel To the good news that God loves us and forgives us and welcomes us into his family, into his presence. The natural response is one of celebration and dancing and smiling. Smiling's my favorite, if you like Elf. (laughs) Partying, rejoicing. You know, sometimes Heather and I, mostly it's me, because she's a good, healthy eater. But I'll get donuts for the kids. You know, she'll give me that look and I'll be like, come on. They're pastor's kids. You've got to throw them a bone in this world. But But I'll tell them, I'll say, your sins are forgiven. Let's enjoy some donuts. Jesus loves you. He can't remember your sins. We should celebrate this. I'm trying to pound it into my kids Head so they don't have all the issues I had growing up. Mm-hmm. How I viewed God. I want them by default to say, God loves us and forgiveness. You don't believe that? Right. Question two. Does this mean that we should no longer have sorrow over our sin? No. In Ezra 9 and 10, the nation repented and they'll repent again in Nehemiah chapter 9. There are times when we are to grieve over our sins. In fact, every day we should grieve over our sins. But we don't stay there. We don't wallow in despair. So I want to propose to you today that the path to daily gospel renewal is through repentance. The path to daily gospel renewal is repentance. I want to propose to you that we can repent our way to renewal. We can repent our way to revival. You want to see revival come in your life? Do you want to see revival in your churches? Who wants revival? We all do, right? Guess how it comes? Through repentance. Through honesty with the Lord. 
Really? Yeah. In my experience, that's how it comes. Not through reading church growth books and marketing books. If you like those, nothing against those. But I think churches grow when repentance becomes the norm. The normal church culture is one of repentance. Repentance is simply, you know, it's just changing your mind. It's changing your mind again, meeting God again on His terms. And in the gospel, these are God's terms. He says, you have sin, I have grace, let's get together. And so understand, our repentance does not lead to God's kindness. Don't reverse it. The Pharisees wanted to reverse it. What does Paul say in Romans 2, 4? It's his what that draws us to repentance. Kindness. Do your people know from the pulpit that the God that you preach about is kind? Kindness. Repentance doesn't follow hard preaching that slams people with shame and guilt. Instead, it says you are comforted and sweetly allured and spoken to tenderly that you come to repentance. Renewal starts with repentance and repentance starts with Jesus. Renewal starts with repentance and repentance starts with kindness. God's kindness to us in Christ. Not swagger. The Spirit does not respond to swagger. How many pastors think that? If I can just be cool enough, people will come and the Spirit will show up. And the Spirit's like, I ain't going there. I go where there's humility. If you want to attract the Spirit, He's looking for churches that are humble and get low before the Lord and say, I'm going to check my ego at the door. You want to see your people change? Do you want to see your church transform? It doesn't happen through preaching that beats people up and makes them leave feeling guilty every week. And so the answer to our sinful self-centeredness is not more law. It's not telling people they need to do more time in Bible study or they need to pursue longer quiet times or they need to endure more rigorous Christian disciplines. The answer to our self-centeredness is worship. It's Beholding the beauty of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul, 2 Corinthians 3. How we changed, how we transformed? Beholding the beauty of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think as pastors, we think if I preach hard and make them feel bad, they'll change. How's that working out for you? How's that working out in your life? Charles Spurgeon, to quote him again, said, While I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought my sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. People change. People repent when they hear over and over and over again, week after week after week, that Jesus loves them and paid it all. When they hear that because of the cross, God isn't angry with them anymore. Listen, your people are desperate for the gospel. Give it to them every single Sunday. They're Christians. And they're hungry and thirsty 
for the gospel. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. They need it. They're hungry. Don't let, listen, don't let your sermons be a running commentary on a passage. They can buy a commentary on Amazon. They want to see Jesus every week. They need good news every week from the pulpit. You know what I'm boggled by? We sing our songs are so gospel-centered. We sing about how He loves us. He forgives us. We do all that. It's just, oh, yeah. And we sit down, and then we beat our people up. And it's just all law, all rules. And it's like, oh, you just suck the air. You suck the spirit out of the room. They want to hear the good news. On Sunday morning, your people are tired They're stressed. They're full of anxiety. Maybe they just binged on porn. Maybe they're hungover. And what do they need? They need the gospel. They need to hear of God's kindness so that they will repent. The message of repentance is not, you better stop that. The message of repentance is Jesus in his kindness saying, come unto me. Come unto me. So we're trying to make this church here at Grace the first place that anyone would come to if they gambled their paycheck away at the casino, got drunk, got a tattoo of Pee Wee Herman on their forearm, and then got into a fight because they had a tattoo of Pee Wee Herman on their forearm, and then spent the night in jail, and then got out on Sunday morning. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? I want them to come here. I want them to come home. That doesn't remove the consequences of their sin, not at all. But I want them to have a safe place to deal with the consequences of their sin. And so we've been working hard over the past eight years to make grace a safe place for sinners, a hospital. I mean, that means no guilt trips, no shame, no how could yous, but instead a whole lot of how could He, how could Jesus be so good to us? We need our churches to be safe places where sinners can come and share their burdens, share their struggles, share their sins, and not be shamed or guilted. We need churches that are not in a hurry. A place where these three things feel normal. Gospel plus safety plus time. I got that from Ray Ortland. Do you know who Ray Ortland is? Yep, yep. Get his book, The Gospel. Little green book called The Gospel. It'll set you on a trajectory and give you some tra- traction for renewal. Highly recommend anything by Ray Ortland. But that's what we're looking for. We're looking for places of gospel where the gospel is everywhere. The pulpit, Sunday school classes, small groups, and a safe place where people feel safe. And then time. Time to grow. Time to... to Put sin to death and not. You've got to hurry up and change. So how do you create this kind of environment in your church? It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with rehearsing the gospel every day. Daily gospel renewal. Repentance starts with you. And that means you have to be open about your sin. You have to be honest. Which, when I read the New Testament, when I read the Bible, I gather that pastors should be honest. Seems like it should be one of the things that the churches require us, right? So we should be honest about our sin. 
You have to be the chief repenter in your church. That's what I put on my resume eight years ago before I came here. That's what I wanted to do. And I still want to be the chief repenter in this church. And that's what church leadership should strive to be. The chief repenters. We should be the first people to own up to our sins. To own up to our mistakes, our bad decisions. And if we do, guess what? Revival will come. Renewal will come. Doesn't necessarily mean our churches are going to grow numerically. But you know what? We'll get healthy. Isn't that what we want? I'll take a small, healthy church over a booming big church that's dead any day. When we begin to lead out in repentance, it will catch fire. So I think Jesus is triple dog daring you to repent today. He's waiting for you to get real and he will usher in a season of renewal and revival, the likes of which you have never seen. But it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with repentance. And so God is saying to you today, I'm ready. I'm willing. What do you say? Let's do this. I mean, who knew that repentance could be so sweet, right? Owning up to your sin, owning up to your selfishness doesn't seem like it would be a good thing, right? But it is a good thing because you get Jesus. Isn't he what you want? Repentance connects you again to Jesus, your first love. And so, yeah, I know on the surface, repentance seems like it would be like eating liver and drinking prune juice, right? (laughs) Who signs up for that? (laughs) Liver and prune juice? No thanks. But that's how many of us view repentance. But repentance is actually comforting. Holding on to your sin, loving it so much, refusing to admit that you've done wrong, refusing to admit that you have made mistakes as a leader, that is eating liver and drinking prune juice. That's an awful place to be. And so who wants in? What I'm proposing is not heroic. You don't need a PhD in theology to experience it. It only requires faith and honesty. Honesty about who you are, What's in your heart, your darling sins, and then faith in Jesus. And so that means that anybody can get in on this. Anybody in your church can get in on renewal. God, God makes, this is what I love about God. God makes it so easy for us to come back to Him. He makes it so easy for us to come back home. You just look to Jesus. That's it. There's no hoops to jump through, there's no fine print. That you, you click on and say, I've read the agreement, and you know you didn't. No fine print, no footnotes, no endnotes. God makes it so easy for us to return. We look to Jesus, and we come home, and we be welcomed with open arms. And then he kisses us on the neck, and he says, let's have a party. He's come home. So let's start making repentance and confession of sin a central part of our ministries. In your ministries, carve out time for repentance. In your meetings, in your Sunday school classes, pause and confess your sins. Just start confessing your sins out loud to Jesus. I mean, your, your church will freak out, but then it will begin to change. I mean, right in front of everybody, just repent and collapse on Jesus. And that's really all repentance is. It's just collapsing on Jesus. Putting God back at the center of your life. And if we do that, Jesus will show up. We did it at a staff meeting a few months ago. I was preaching about idols, heart idols. And I said, 
If you're comfortable in the staff meeting, let's confess our idols. What idol has your heart? And you know what? People opened up. They confessed their idols. You know, it was the best staff meeting ever that we've ever had. We cried lots and lots of tears. I mean, some people just said, this, I'm sorry, and then just tears. Just like you just barely cut them and they just opened up. And we laughed and we just got real with one another. And it was so refreshing. And we needed it. And it brought healing. And it was wonderful. I mean, who knew? Confessing your sins to one another could be so freeing. Who knew that confessing your idols to one another could bring healing? Seems like James says something about confessing our sins bringing healing, right? Well, then... I got an email that same day from someone who wanted to meet with me. And your response is either, oh no, or what's this about? Right? Anytime anybody gets sent you an email and says, I want to meet with you, you're like, okay. Okay, what do I really got to pray for? Do I need to fast? Or is this a good meeting? And the reality is you never know. Because we talked earlier about men being betrayed by close people. You can have close people. It's like, oh, he's going to come in. Great. Oh, he has a dagger in his hand. So I get this email saying someone wants to meet with me. And this guy came into my office and he sat down and he said, A reason I wanted to meet with you today is because I want to confess my idols. And he did. And I did too. And it was wonderful. And it was embarrassing. But it was wonderful. So how do you create this kind of church culture? You have to look again to Jesus. You have to look away from you and look to him. What did Isaiah say? By his wounds we are healed. We have to look to Christ crucified. That's how conviction comes. That's where repentance comes from. Don't seek repentance. Seek Jesus and then repentance will follow. Don't seek repentance. Seek Jesus and then repentance will follow. And then conviction will follow. And conviction of sin is really, it's just... To have this picture, it's God's love coming in and washing its hands, scrubbing down, putting on the gloves, and then saying, scalpel. And then tenderly and cautiously and meticulously cutting us open and getting rid of the infection and the disease. It's life-giving. Now, we don't often see conviction that way, do we? Because who wants to be convicted of their sin? That means we have to face our sin and who we really are. And that's no fun. That's embarrassing stuff right there, isn't it? Conviction of sin is having to wear that outfit that the hospital gives you that ties in the back. But people can still see your rear end. You're exposed. That's conviction of sin. Your rear is exposed. Total exposure. You're waiting for the surgery or the healing. But that's it. All of your heart is laid bare before Jesus. And it's embarrassing, but that's when the healing starts. Does that sound like fun? Probably not. I mean, who wants to be exposed? Who wants to admit that they have an idol problem? It's embarrassing, right? But who wants to be healed? That's the question. Who wants to be set free? Who wants to laugh and dance again? In order for healing to come, in order for renewal and revival to come, we have to be honest with one another. We have to get real. Get real with one another and get real with the real Jesus. And it's a little unnerving to see what's really inside of our hearts, right? 
But there's no condemnation, right? We're forgiven. And so we can open up to the real Jesus. And so the thing that we're afraid to do to get real with the real Jesus and to humble ourselves and to drag our darling sins kicking and screaming into the light, the thing we're afraid to do, that's what sets us free. That's how healing comes. Will it be embarrassing? Yeah. Yeah, it will. But that's okay. We're being honest with Jesus, honest with one another, and only good things can come from that. Only good things come when there's confession and repentance. So understand this. Down deep, where we'd rather not go, is where Jesus awaits us. We think he just awaits us when we're singing. Oh, this is great. He does. But down deep, where we would rather not go in our hearts, is where Jesus is waiting. Down deep in the darkest places of our hearts, that's where Jesus is. We'd rather not go there. There's some doors down there deep in our heart and he's just sitting in the chair outside saying, I've been waiting for you to open up this door so we can fix it, heal it. We don't want to go there because it's painful to see what's deep down inside of us, right? And it's embarrassing. Oh, but it's embarrassing to me, the stuff that I think of and stuff that comes out of my heart. I'm like, It's embarrassing to think about all the thoughts and the conversations and the monologues that we have in our hearts. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have conversations with people in your head? Mm -hmm. I find myself praying. I'm in the shower. And I start thinking, oh, yeah, that guy's coming in the meeting today. Well, if he says this, I'm going to say that. And if he comes back with that, then I'm going to say it. And I'm going to put him in his place. Do you ever do this? Am I the only one? Mm -hmm. Man, I hope I'm not the only one. But if not, that's okay. Do you ever have conversations with people about the meeting that's going to happen and how you come out on top? And they leave and they're like, oh, you're so wise, Pastor. I was so wrong. Forgive me. Here's a gift card to Chick-fil-A. That's how they go in my head. It's embarrassing. But that's where Jesus is. He's waiting for us down there. Down deep where we'd rather not go is where Jesus awaits us. He wants us to open up our hearts and see what's in there and then through faith in his work, by his grace, enabled by God's spirit to repent of and confess our sins. That's where he meets us in the ugly places of our hearts, in the embarrassing places of our hearts. That's where freedom is. That's how revival and renewal comes. You see, no matter how long how much you have grown as a Christian or no matter how long you have been a Christian, there are still unevangelized continents inside every one of us. Unevangelized continents that have never heard the gospel. Places in our hearts where the light of the gospel is still needed. Unevangelized lands that need the gospel. We don't want to go there because it's really embarrassing. That's where Jesus is. So let me ask you this morning, what are you hiding? What do you need to bring out into the light? What is deep down in those dark places behind those locked doors where you don't want to go, that you need to kick the door down, drag it out, kicking and screaming, and bring it into the light of His grace and confess it and be free? You're safe to do that with Jesus. You're safe to do that because God is so gracious and so kind. And so his message to all idiots and nincompoops who are just stumbling through life is this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That means we can be honest about ourselves with God. Our sin is real. Our failure is real. But that doesn't scare God off. Isn't that amazing? He values honesty. He values an honest assessment of ourselves and our hearts. He wants us to get real with Him. And that can be scary because we know what's inside of us. But understand that being honest is not the death of us or the death of our joy. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of renewal. Being honest about the embarrassing things that are in our hearts is how we start the party. We're not being party poopers when we can address our heart, what's in our hearts and confess our sins. That's how the joy comes. That's how the party starts. And so as we wrap up, let's go back to where we started. How did God bring Ezra and company back from slavery in Babylon? How did he feel about his people as they sat as slaves in Babylon for 70 years? What did he say to them through Isaiah? In Isaiah 54, verses 7 through 8, he says, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Even though there were consequences to Israel's sin, and even though they were briefly deserted and taken away to exile, Yahweh says, I'm going to bring you home again. And there will be no shame involved at all. No, I told you so's. No, shame on you. No, how dare you? He would bring them home with Great compassion, the Hebrew, deep compassion. In fact, the Hebrew word that Isaiah uses here for compassion in verse 7 is related to the Hebrew word for the womb. It's this surging maternal love. It's the same word in Lamentations 3 where it says, His mercies are new every morning. The womb-like, surging, maternal mercy of God never comes to an end. It's new every morning. So how about this paraphrase of Lamentations 3.23? His womb-like, surging, maternal mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Wow. That's how God feels about you right now. That's a game changer. Like a mother holding her baby with joy. That's what God is saying. I'm going to bring you back like a mother who just looks at her baby and just beams like this is everything. That's how God feels about you. God is calling you home today with deep, surging, maternal compassion. It's a real invitation from the real Jesus. What's holding you back? All that keeps you and me back from renewal and revival is our stubbornness. All that keeps our churches, holds them back from renewal and revival is stubbornness. Let's take Jesus up on this offer. What do you say? Well, here's a verse to begin praying for you and your family and your church and for Converge. Psalm 85, 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Let's start praying that. If we pray this for our own personal renewal and for our churches, I think God the Father will answer us like this. Revive you? You betcha. You bet I will. I'd love to renew y'all. God says y'all, by the way. (laughs) I'd love to renew y'all. I'm waiting on you. 
How bad do y'all want it? How bad do you want renewal and change? Get low before me in humility and bring your heart. And let's open it up and start cleaning that garbage and junk out. And that's revival. That's renewal. So come desperate. Come sick and tired of your sin. And I can work with that. And then you'll rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to come now by your spirit and begin this work in our hearts. And we pray that it would uh, catch uh, with our churches. So we just pray Psalm 85, 6 now. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Answer that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.